Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal in our downtown studios in Providence uh, on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm here with my co-conspirator, Nick Coit, the sports director at ABC6 and the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI. Coity, how you living? Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Wonderful to see you again. You too. An early Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Yes, an early Merry Christmas to, to you and to all the folks out there who celebrate the holiday. Uh, we'll get some Christmas gifts uh, in verbal form a little later. <laughs> yeah. uh, as, as folks who listen to the podcast regularly might remember, Coit had a card for me uh, last episode. <laughs> he was in here. Got that out early. Though uh, You were the first batch. I had another batch I had to get out here uh, early this week, too. So I mean, you, you, know, deadline. you know a gentleman is a, a man of means and someone with a touch of class when he can produce his own Christmas card <laughs> with his own photo on it. Or, you know, just the uh, the wonderful people over at Walmart, the Photoshop. That always helps. It's you know, they, they need our money as much as anybody else right. this time of year. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a wonderful gesture. And uh, I still have not reciprocated. So, yeah. hey, uh, it's fine. Yeah, we'll we'll make it up next year at the Coit Christmas party. I will come good. There you go. There you go. We'll we'll be we'll be good to go. <laughs> um, Coit, we we have two really good places to start this week or this episode on the podcast. Uh, we could start with Bryant or we could start with Providence. They're they're both uh, you know good stories at the moment. Um, I give you the choice. I say we start with the Bulldogs. Uh, it's it's fresh on our minds here. We're recording this on a Tuesday after they went to UMass and earned a victory up in Amherst. And uh, yeah, I, I say we start there because the Bulldogs, boy, they are fun to watch. It's the best start in in for Division One in the program's history. Seven and two. Yeah. Uh, th- this team, they've really put together a squad this year, uh, and, and I, I think we're going to be talking a lot about them here as we move forward. I agree with you. The Bulldogs are the choice. Ninety three eighty eight winners over UMass on Monday, a game that the Minutemen paid for the privilege to be beat at home at Mullen Center by <laughs> Bryant. Um, you know, one of these buy games. One of these money guarantee games that you hear the smaller programs talk about just to augment their budgets and the bigger programs talk about just try and get some confidence and get some wins. Every once in a while, those buy games backfire. And when you have a team like Bryant, who is dangerous, who is looking more and more like a team that could capture the automatic NCAA bid out of the Northeast Conference, it's probably a game that you should be wary of scheduling. UMass found that out the hard way. Michael Green III exploded for a career-high 33 points in that game. Uh, had a huge layup with a minute three seconds to go uh, that snapped an 84-84 tie and was the deciding basket of the game. Um, Coity, this was very typical of Bryant to this point in the year. They had a 17-point lead early in the second half. They saw that melt away. The difference was this time, unlike their first game of the year at Syracuse, they found some grit, they found some toughness, and they made some shots and some free throws down the end to steal a win here. That's the encouraging thing, Bill, is that we s- we've seen this before from the Bulldogs this season. We saw it at Syracuse the lead that they had for most of the game evaporated. And what happened? They weren't able to hit a big shot or close out the way that they needed to close out at Syracuse. We saw it at the beginning of NEC play with St. Francis Brooklyn. They had some trouble in that second game closing it out. They ended up with a split, which I'm sure to them was disappointing because they felt like they were the better team for both of those games and that they should leave Brooklyn with a sweep. This time around, though, and this is a great sign from a team, They've learned, they've learned. They've learned that 
okay, we can we can do the Bryant blitz at the beginning of the game, right. which is what I'm starting to call it. I like bull, it. the bulldog blitz, maybe. I like it. Uh, where you know they come out firing. They it's like there's no shot clock. They're just they're going up and down the court and they're just shooting and they're putting up. I mean the possession numbers for the first half for this team. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, and the points that they're putting up, the point totals. But they know that second half. Yes, they can be up by 17 like they were yesterday, and you know their opponent's going to make a push, especially at home. And UMass did that. They ended up tying the game, but this time around, I think it showed uh, mental toughness. I think it showed composure. Uh, and to see a kid like Michael Green come up with a big shot like that and then you know they they close it out at the free throw line and and that is what it is i mean that that was that was a huge basket and he there again there was no panic and green was able to get to the hoop i mean the driving lanes were open all day for him yeah all day yeah and he took advantage of it again it was great composure by a kid that's a sophomore that's you know taking on a lead role with his offense and setting other guys up uh, and that that was a great sign from Bryant yesterday. When a guy who's five foot eleven, and I think that's generally generously listed, when he goes eight for nine from two, yeah, that gives you an idea of, of just how easy he found it to slice through the UMass defense. And I use that word lightly because they didn't play much defense in that game no. at all. Uh, you know, Bryant shot sixty eight percent from two point range. They were nine for twenty one from three. Pretty much got whatever they wanted. The the only thing that kept this from being a blowout was Bryant committed twenty two turnovers in this game. Uh, if they had kept a, taking a little better care of the ball, they would have run UMass off the court uh, early in the second half when they made their push. Um, Michael Green, we've talked about him before. He's the NEC Rookie of the Year last year. Um, you know, tough little kid out of the Bronx. Didn't have much interest from Division One programs. And you know, Maury Hirschgordon and I made the comparison on the podcast last week. Erickson Bands was similar. Uh, the Shea guard, the the state uh, scoring record holder in Rhode Island. Bryant went out, identified Michael Green, saw him as a fit for what they do. Michael Green was smart enough to realize, why should I take a prep year and take the 12th scholarship at Fordham and stay home in the Bronx when I can go to a place that fits my style and I can actually play? Um, This is the perfect marriage of player and evaluation and system. And I think you're seeing it come out now. He looks like a star. He has plenty of help from Peter Kiss, who had 21 points. Uh, Grad transfer from Rutgers. Charles Pride had 11 and 12 rebounds. Hall Elijah dominated his matchup with Trey Mitchell. Six points, nine boards, five blocks in 32 minutes. Uh, Trey Mitchell, who I consider to be the best pro prospect in the A-10, um, you know, one of the candidates for A-10 Player of the Year had 12 points. He was four for nine from the field, three rebounds. Bryant defended him very smartly. His teammates couldn't get out of their own way. Otherwise, they were nine for 34 from three. There was far too much settling. If you were UMass, you were the bigger team. You should have forced it inside. You should have been patient. They couldn't do it. Um, and Bryant is sitting here now at what should be the end of their non-conference schedule at 7-2, with a break uh, going into January 7th against Central Connecticut when they get back in NEC play. Cody, I look at this team, and, and based on what we've seen through nine games, they could be 9-0. and How good are they? <laughs> well, you just talked about fit. Uh, and I, I think, uh, first of all, I want to say, too, uh, it was it – was, 
It was scary, obviously, for Bryant, but it was fun to see a kid like TJ Weeks, who we're used to seeing here in Rhode Island, former Hendrickson star, former Pilgrim star, uh, being able to go out there and, and make a big shot and help lead the Minutemen back because we know he's capable of it. So yeah. you love to see the local players play well, and, and he did that in the second half yesterday. Um, in terms of fit, you talked about you know Michael Green and how his skill set translates. Same with Erickson Vance off the bench. And I give credit to Coach Grasso and his staff, too, for finding... You knew that this was... You saw a hint of this style last year with allowing guys to take shots, you know, beyond the arc and and allowing guys to take a lot of shots. And I think they've recruited guys, Kiss and Childs are the two that stick out to me, that are... They are way above average shooters to me. I mean, Chris Childs, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, when he gets an open look... It doesn't. It goes down most of the time. Now, forty-eight percent from three through nine games. He's twenty-seven for fifty-six. It's pretty darn good. Pretty good. And when you're playing that style, and you recruit those sorts of guys, and you bring them in as transfers to play in within, they had a picture of what they wanted. Yes. And they've got those players now, and that's why you're seeing it come together. And so, I, again, for fit. I think that that goes a long way, and I think that's why you you look at their record, you look at their schedule coming up, and you say, boy, they could they. There's a reason. I think I think some coaches probably saw it before we did in terms of the preseason poll. They were tied for what third, I believe, tied for third. And I think some coaches probably looked at it and said, well, this is the style they want to play. This is what they have now with these players that they've brought in, and if it comes together. We're seeing it on the floor right now. They're a top of, of the NEC type of team if they're playing the way they want to play. Yeah, Jared inherited a, a rebuild here as a three-win team uh, the year before he took over at Bryant. And some of their games the first couple of years were, were a bit of tractor pulls, um, you know, slowed down the tempo, um, you know, really were, were content to battle it out half court. And that's because they didn't have personnel in yet. Um, and you got the sense before the start of the year, uh, Grasso alluded to it a little bit, that, that they were going to look a little bit more like Iona, which mm-hmm. is where he came from. He was the associate head coach under Tim Kloos, and Iona is a team that likes to get up and down and, and has for the last decade. And you had a feeling that, that Jared was sort of building to that. He was trying to work to that, and we've seen it through nine games uh, come to fruition. Uh, Bryant is, is the number one team in the country now in terms of adjusted tempo. 78 possessions per game. Wow. Uh, it was 83 against UMass uh, on Monday. And, and, and you can just see what they're trying to do. They're sitting in that 2-3 zone because they're undersized. And as soon as they get it off the backboard, they're going. You know, Michael Green breaks down the defense. He's got shooters on the wing, as you mentioned, with Childs and with Kiss. They've got a legitimate low-major big guy inside in Hall Elijahs, who is the classic undersized, athletic, bouncy rim protector, but he's only 6'7". So Texas and Texas A&M and you know, a bunch of Big East schools didn't recruit him. If he was 6'10 or 6'11, he would have been a four- or five-star guy, and, and they never would have gone anywhere near him. Correct. Um, you know, and you can sort of see these pieces coming together. You can see, if you've watched the NCAA tournament over time, these sort of low-major, one-bid league teams who get into the tournament and give a hard time to maybe a Big 12, a Pac-12, a Big East team in that first-round game. Bryant sort of has some of those characteristics. You're starting to get that feel 
around this team. And and you've been around enough championship teams in, in this market, Coity. You get to like a third or you know maybe halfway through the season, and you can kind of feel something's going on. Big time. I'm starting to get that feeling around Bryant right about now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's it's still fairly early. I mean, we're early in NEC play, but you just you're seeing. Uh, we talk, we've talked about this with the Friars, and we will talk about this with the Friars today. You know, pieces uh, fitting in in the right places, and guys taking on different roles. And I think of a guy that we haven't even talked about yet that doesn't get talked about enough because he's sort of a mild mannered, you know, quiet kid. But you just read his stat line from yesterday. I mean, he just does all the little things for this team, and that's Charles Pride. Yeah, that's a kid that's sort of getting lost in the shovel because okay, maybe he's not making the big shot, maybe he's not making the corner three to put them up double digits, but Charles Pride is the one that diving on the floor and giving it his all to grab a rebound when they really need it or to keep a possession alive or something along those lines and that's you need those types of players if you're going to go to the place that you want to go to and that's that's somebody that stands out to me um, and and they'll continue to find guys off their bench that you know Erickson Bands has shown some potential some flash they're giving them the minutes to do that and that's a great thing for them now and moving forward you know for him to be able to be a role player and then and sort of grow there at Bryant. Um, yeah, it, you, you see it. You see it there. I, I'm with you, Bill. I, I think it's they've been fun to watch so far. At the very least, they're going to be fun to watch because of their style. Uh, Bryant is going to be idle, as we said, until January 7th. They go back into NEC play against Central Connecticut. Uh, they had a late phone call from LSU to maybe schedule a game on the 23rd. Really? Jared Grasso disclosed that in his post game, uh, but his players had already made their plans to go home for the holidays. Uh, he had granted them a few days off until after Christmas. And, and so they weren't able to take up that opportunity to go down to Baton Rouge. Wow. Um, but that, Apologies. I was, I was going on the air at about 6.20 when that press conference was going on. So thank you for filling us in on that. Well, but it, 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 does speak, it does speak to the nature of scheduling here. And, and obviously this UMass game wasn't on the original Bryant schedule. came together at the last minute, um, you know, like most games have for, for most programs out of conference. Um, if you're UMass and, and you watch what Bryant did against Syracuse, losing by one on the road, I don't think you can play this game. I agree. I, I, I do not think that you can schedule this game if you're UMass, if you've turned over a large majority of your roster. If you're a head coach of Matt McCall who's in year four and who hasn't really shown much yet uh, in terms of success in Amherst, you're putting yourself in a reasonable amount of danger as a head coach when you do something like this. Um, you're looking at three previous years where you're sub-500. You're 2-2 two and two now. You've had some COVID issues. You've had some scheduling issues. You haven't necessarily played. You're not picked to finish in the top half of the Atlantic 10. Your best player, Trey Mitchell, could declare for the draft at the end of this year. So what sort of progress have you shown after four seasons? When you have your performance review or your discussion with your athletic director at the end of the season... One of the things that's going to come up is, why did we pay X thousand to Bryant University to lose a game at home? And then you go out and you go, you know, 13 and 20 again, and, you know, we're out of the A-10 tournament in the first round, and we don't show any progress, and we're going to lose these guys to transfers and this guy to the pros, and basically, where are we compared to when you were hired? And, And so... A lot of times when we talk about scheduling and we talk about who will play who and why they'll play who and you know how these matchups get made, coaches 
have to be risk averse in certain situations. There are certain games that they probably shouldn't take on. I would argue that this was one of them for UMass, and I think if they had to do it over again, they probably would have declined. Well, I'm with you. How did they watch the Syracuse game and say it's a good idea to take this game? I, I, I don't, I don't know. That that's where I scratch my head. And the fact that it was a bye game is, you're right, Bill. It's it's not a great look if you're UMass. And I understand you've got talent there. You do. Trey Mitchell is is a talented player. Uh, I just I mentioned T.J. Weeks. There's a there's a few local kids on their roster, you know. In fact, and and th- there's guys that can, can play. I mean, Carl Pierre seems like he's been there for you know. <laughs> is he a senior now? He's finally a senior. Yeah, seems uh, <laughs> like he's been there forever. No, Noah Fernandez, Wichita, St- Wichita yeah. State transfer is a very nice player. They have some good looking fresh uh, freshmen. Javon Garcia uh, is a good player. Uh, Ronnie DeGray has some talent. There, there's no question that that they have some pieces. But if you're UMass and you're trying to make all those pieces fit together, uh, why are you scheduling Bryant after they should have beat Jim Beheim at the Carrier Dome? I I don't know. And I know know it's a weird year. I know that teams are trying to take games here and there. But the fact that you said it's a bye game, it's like, I don't know, man. I'm scratching my head at that one, too. That's that's a tough one. That's one of those things that gets the attention of your administrators, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And it's it's something that if if you're at a point where you're on a little bit of thin ice at the end of the year, that could be the thing that cracks the ice. Yeah. Um, you know. So a lot of coaches would not have taken that game. I credit UMass for taking the game, uh, even though I don't necessarily think that it was the wisest thing they could have done. I credit Bryant for taking advantage of the opportunity, um, and I can't imagine that that's the last time they're going to do something like this uh, if someone is uh, ambitious enough to try and schedule them at home, by game or not. Sure. Um, we move to Providence, who is the other headliner here. Uh, they only go second because Bryant has done something that they've never done in program history. We've seen Providence win games like they did on Sunday before. We've seen the guy make the shot like he made on Sunday before. That's A.J. Reeves. Uh, we saw it last year at Marquette in overtime, beat the buzzer. This time at Seton Hall on Sunday, 80-77. to The Friars upend the Pirates in their Big East opener, the fourth time that Providence tried to play a Big East opener. Uh, and it was worth the wait because it was a thriller. I, I know, Coyte, you watched it. Uh, I was riveted for all 45 minutes. I, I thought it was a really good game. Both offenses came out really hot in the first half. The defense is clamped down in the second half and then overtime was just a struggle to the finish line. You could see both teams are playing so hard. They were desperate. Seton Hall had won four games in a row. Providence had been idle for 11 days and and so you had both teams with a lot of motivation there to try and get it done and and ultimately Providence found a way. David Duke penetrates. He kicks it out to A.J. Reeves in the left corner and he knocks down a three with three seconds to go. Uh, A really good win for Providence and a really big moment for a guy who we both thought should be a key piece of this team going forward and who struggled a bit in the early going. So what was it that Ed said in that press conference afterwards? He said, if, uh, if you think, you stink. Is that what it was? It was he sort of went to like the baseball <laughs> adage where some guys, 
they think the game and it works for them and, and whatever else. And some other guys, you think the game and you stink. Yeah. Now, I don't think that AJ is, is an overthinker. He is a bright kid. Oh, yeah. So maybe he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think AJ's shooting struggles so far, I think the best thing that could have happened to him was he didn't have any time. That was just a reaction. It was, I catch it, the clock's running down, I know I need to get it up. Yep. And it was a great shot. He had a great look. It was a great shot. He's got a great stroke. We've we've known that. Uh, you know I'm a baseball guy, Bill. So you know that I do believe in in the th- the thinkers. I agree. And, guy, and guys that you know, if you're not thinking about it, if you go up there, I've played I've played golf with guys who just step up to the tee. There's no practice. I'm a guy that takes a couple practice swings, kind of scans everything. I take a little bit of time. I've known guys that step up there, grip and rip is the way we put it in well, baseball. Is there anyone who looks more unburdened on a golf course than Dustin Johnson? Yeah, right. I mean, there's your example. Yep. Just sort of lopes around and looks very casual, and he, <laughs> he could just be a Sunday morning at your local Muni. Yeah. And the next thing you know, he shoots 64 at the Masters. Right. You're thinking, God, this guy is an alien. Right. You know, there is a lot of value in that. Absolutely. And so when you when you are in rhythm like that, it's something, as AJ mentioned after the game, they practice a thousand times. You're not thinking about it. It's not an open. It's an open look, but it's not like a wide open. Okay, I get to shoot it now, and I get a second to think about it. it just, you know, David Duke makes the pass, AJ makes the shot, and boom, they they end up winning the game. Uh, that that was it was great to watch. As you said, it was a great moment for them, and you like to see that out of AJ because I I think if he doesn't. If he just takes a little bit of thought out of it and just just does it, just just you know feels the rhythm, feels the shot, I, I think that's that's the key to success for him. And hopefully, it does boost him, you know, into you know a good stretch here because he is an important piece for them going forward, and they do need him to make shots like that, you know, as they get into Biggie's play here. But that's it's a great way to start. And again, like we said with the TCU game. Again, there's guys that are settling into roles. And I, we've said this with Bryant, but it's it's just so important to have, and, and especially with the Friars, because you're seeing guys you know, sort of recognize, okay, this is what I can do to help the team win. And A.J. didn't play for most of the second half. He, nope. didn't, he came in because, nope. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was Jimmy Nichols that fouled out. Jimmy Nichols fouled out with eight seconds left. Uh, a mistake by the Friars uh, you know, guarding with a three-point lead. Uh, Seton Hall inbounds from their own basket. They get it to Sandro Mamokalashvili in the open floor. And instead of pulling up for three, he drives. Uh, drives for a right-handed dunk. And, and Jimmy Nichols, I think his instincts took over. Yeah. This time in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Because he's a long player, an athletic player, a shot blocker. And he's thinking, I'm going to contest the shot at the rim. It's the wrong time to do that when you have a three-point lead. He commits a foul. Mamu Kalashvili makes a three-point play. Providence doesn't get a shot off, and you're 72-72 going into overtime. And it was a game that Providence looked like they had under control with a minute to play uh, after Nate Watson makes a big baseline jumper. Um, all of a sudden, you're in overtime, and the game's on the table again. Uh, and and it, was, it was huge for Providence to pull it out. Uh, Reeves was 6 for 31 from 3 before he made that shot wow. on the season. Yeah. We both know that's not who he is. Nope. And, and eventually, you're waiting for the market correction to come through. Um, you know, but to your point about other guys contributing, Jimmy Nichols is a good place to start. Had 10 points off the bench. That was a career high. He did a terrific job defensively on Mamu Kalashvili 
and, and really Providence did for most of the day. You've gotten really good at saying his last name. Well, because they played Rhode Island earlier this year, <laughs> and so I've had a lot of practice. Um, Mamu started 2-for-12 in this game. He ended up 6-for-17. He, he really closed well in the last minute and in the overtime, but Providence really made him work for his 20 points uh, in 41 minutes. Uh, they did an excellent job. They, they threw length at him with Nichols and with Greg Gant and with some A.J. Reeves and even with some David Duke. Uh, Nate Watson was guarding him early when Iko Biagu went out and, and Mamu went to the five. Um, Providence did a really good job defending him, and, and, and I think that was obviously the player that they were going to key on going into the game. Um, but you mentioned it, Nick. The fact that they were able to get Jimmy Nichols to come off the bench, make a couple shots, get himself in the scoring column, the fact that they had Greg Gant come off the bench and contribute again and just be that long athlete that they know he can be in 35 minutes, um, that helps when guys like Nate Watson do what he does. 23-11 and 11 in this game. He's 10 for 16 from the field. It helps David Duke. Didn't have his best shooting night, but he does the other things to win 18 points and 10 defensive rebounds in that game. When you're 6'5", they want you to get down in there and use your elbows a little bit, and he did it. Um, so when he goes 4 for 13 from the field, it doesn't hurt as much because he's working on the glass and he goes 8 for 8 at the line. And, and those are sort of the winning margins in the box score that you look for that go beyond field goal percentage and just your scoring. Forgive me, I'm just I'm, I'm bringing up Providence's roster in front of me right now because, you know, one thing, and you just mentioned a couple of guys too, so I'll touch on that, uh, Nate's jumper. <laughs> Looks he, good. He, I mean, it's it's a dangerous weapon because he's worked on it. Looks good, Bill. When you when you when you add something to your repertoire like that, and you're a big man too, because you know Nate that he can get the ball in the post. He can back up a guy like Obiagu. He's just he's tough. He's a moose down there, and you knew that he had the turnaround hook. You knew he could do all the things that a, you know a traditional big man can do. Sure. Now he can stand near the free throw line. He can stand in the paint. He can stand halfway down the base line and he can make a jumper and it's I mean that is that's a dangerous thing for him to have it's a next and, step and teams are going to have to respect it and so they're not going to know what's coming from Nate so I, I give Nate all the credit for him he said it I, I believe it was in uh, in Asheville he said I've been in the gym all the time working on this jumper and it shows I mean that is that's impressive man that's impressive um David Duke's leadership I think continues to come out on the floor um I, I think that's that's been obvious since they they really needed it probably the second half against fairly Dickinson I think he he had taken accountability after a couple losses in Asheville yes and the fairly Dickinson game they really needed something in the second half yes. he stepped forward now as you mentioned he's doing all the little things the scoring is going to come with him and and again I mean he made a couple of shots in the Seton Hall game where I just said Whew, that jumper when he steps into it now it, it's it's unbelievable. It's it's pretty. It's pretty to watch. But you're right. He's doing all these these different things, these little things. The reason I brought up the Friars roster here, and forgive me for a second, was okay. in, the, in the second half. I really what I really liked was just the big long lineup that was on the floor for the Friars, and that's why I okay. So I say Nate Watson was on the floor. He's six ten. Greg Gant listed at six eight. David Duke, one of your guards, is six five. 
Jimmy Nichols, 6'8", and was it was either Bynum out there or was Horkler at some points, too. Horkler's 6'8". You know, the smallest guy would be Bynum out there, but the length that you had at all these different positions, I thought, was... To go up against a team like Seton Hall, who had Obiagu and Mamu Kalashvili. Very good. Did I say Very that? good. You did. You did. <laughs> and they had Mamu. I mean, that was. I, I feel like, have we seen that sort of thing from Providence recently in terms of all of that length on the floor at the same time filling all those positions? It was an adjustment that they made early in the second half, and really it changed the game. Yeah. Um, you had A.J. Reeves on the bench for all but eight seconds of the last 16 12. Providence decided to go three forwards instead of three guards, and that meant Nate Watson uh, out there playing 38 minutes. Greg Gant played 35. Jimmy Nichols played 25. Uh, the only small guy you really went with was Jared Bynum. He played 43 minutes. Didn't shoot it well, but eight assists against two turnovers. That's really good point guard play. Absolutely. Uh, seven of those assists were in the first half. Made a clutch three-pointer to start overtime his first of the year. Um so what I like to see from Providence there is not only did you adjust the game plan midway through, but you had the personnel to do it, Yes, which is really, really important going forward. That now means that you can play big teams. You've already played small teams, and you've done reasonably well against them. It means that you have a plan B and a plan C and maybe a plan D, and that's going to be important the further you get into the Big East because it's only going to get harder from here. And you have a guy like Horkler who can come in, and and he can be part of that. You have a guy like Croswell who I think played some minutes in the first half but wasn't really part of that game plan in the second half but you know say somebody gets in foul trouble say you want to continue with that maybe that's part of your plan b or plan c defensively but i thought just the big lineup on the floor it slowed the game down it slowed down the momentum that seton hall had and defensively i I think it it really worked out for them and as you said different guys were being thrown at mamu and that i think was you know mamu is he's a great player uh, you can see it in, in a lot of different ways, and that's why he stepped forward in some of those closing moments and had the big shot to tie it you know, at the end of the game and sort of you know, caught Jimmy Nichols you know, relying on his instincts. But, um, yeah, I, I think it was that, that just was impressive to me, and it, just, it stuck out in this game. That was really good for Providence. It, it's an ideal start for them, and, and really they're into a point of the schedule where you know, I mentioned with Maury last time, they can make some hay here early in the Big East. Absolutely. You're playing at Butler on Wednesday. That's a place that you won last year. Uh, Butler is coming off three straight losses. It'll be their fourth game in a week. They've had COVID issues. They've had to reschedule a bunch of games. Monday night, they lost a bye game at home to Southern Illinois. Uh, They got ambushed early in that game and and couldn't dig out of it in the second half. Um, And so Butler is, is sort of one of those teams, and I've said this before on the pod, this is like a separation game for Providence. If you're going to finish in the top three and, and where you're predicted and maybe make a run at a regular season title, Butler has to be below you. This has to be a game that you win. Yeah. Um, at the very least, you have Butler, DePaul, and then Butler again at home. You have to come out of that 3-1 and one if you want to finish at or near the top. If you're 4-0... and oh, God bless you. We'll take that into 2021 and, and just keep going. Um, <laughs> one thing to watch out of the Bulldogs, uh, they played without... They play without Aaron Thompson on Monday night. Oh, the phone call coming in here. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. <laughs> played, uh, no one's supposed to be here. I don't I know why anyone's say, calling this calling. line. Yeah. Uh, Butler played without Aaron Thompson on Monday night. Their point guard, influential player. He has a knee issue uh, that popped up against Villanova 
uh, last week. And we'll see whether or not he's able to get out there Wednesday night. I, I would imagine he's going to be a game-time decision. But without him, Providence could turn up that defensive pressure a little bit, You know, maybe make life a little easier for themselves, speed up the pace. Um, you know, try and make life difficult for, for Butler. They certainly have the defensive capabilities to do that. They did it against TCU. Um, we saw them generate offense off their defense in that game. So I, I think Providence is, is very well situated here to make that trip to Hinkle Fieldhouse. I, I think their confidence is right where it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I see Providence as, as having really a golden opportunity here to get off to a good start in the Big East. No, I, I'm with you on the timing of this game and the fact that Butler is, you know, they're missing a guy like Thompson. And, you know, I will see, even if he does play, Bill, you know, where is his health at the, you know, yeah, what's He's what, not going to be 100%. Exactly. Even if so, he gets out there. So you, you're catching Butler, I think, at the exact moment you would want to catch them if you're going to Hinkle on Wednesday. So uh, that's that plays to your advantage. Has DePaul still not played a game? Oh, good question. I don't. I don't think they have. Bill. I think. I think they might have got on the floor. Did they? I. I. I remember a. No, brief, they have not played. Brief glance. So Providence is her first game. Yeah. Yeah. Holy cow! I mean, that's that right there again is a good spot. I mean, maybe they come out firing. Who knows? Maybe they're like a, you know, they've been waiting so long to get on the floor and play that they they come out. You know, they come out hot. But still, you're going to have your, your pains, I think, if you're the Blue Demons, because you haven't played. You They're, just haven't played a game. They are supposed to play Western Illinois on Wednesday night. Okay. As we record this Tuesday afternoon, that game is still on. But DePaul entered their second COVID pause, and, and who knows if they'll actually take the floor yeah. for that game. We, we really don't know. So at the very least, they'll only have played one game. Right. And I, I'm not going to – I hope they do get to play. I hope they get to play a game at least before Providence. You know, I mean, hey – it just—it's been so tough for some of these programs. So for Dave Lato and his kids, I, I really hope that they're able to finally get into the action because this is—I mean—that is the nightmare scenario. We've been lucky here, as we've talked about, that the teams here have. Yeah, they've dealt with cancellations, but nothing within their own program. You know, a program like DePaul—that's the nightmare scenario. So you hope that they can get out there and play. Really tough. Uh, you know, Providence will be playing Wednesday. Um, at Butler, they're scheduled to play DePaul on the 27th uh, and then welcome Butler to Alumni Hall on the 30th. So the Friars will be staying here for Christmas. Um, our last team who, who is in action in the market is Rhode Island. They will have Christmas off, but I would imagine that they're going to be in the gym working on some things. Uh, they will not be playing any games at that point, but there's much to do if you're the Rams. Uh, they've lost three straight now, uh, including their conference opener on Friday night, 67-58 against Davidson at home. Uh, and, Coyte, I, aside from Malik Martin, who played very well in this game, had a career-high 20 points. He was making threes. Uh, Mikel Mitchell had 12-6 and six in this game, played reasonably well before fouling out in 23 minutes. Aside from those three, those two guys, Cody, I don't know how many positives you could take out of 40 minutes for the Rams the other night. Fats is grinding through something. You, you know it. You've seen it. He's grinding through something. And so I think this break hopefully is a good thing for him um, because you got to get him right. He has to be right for you. He has to be. Um, and I think the other thing, too, and I know that, that you and Maury talked about it last week, the loss of Makai Mitchell and, and his injury and the fact that Okay, now you got to figure some things out because that's an important guy in terms of your rotation and your front court mm-hmm. and the minutes that he was giving you. And so, okay, who fills that that void? Who takes on some of those minutes? You know, does 
you know, does a guy like, I, I don't know, like a DJ Johnson take on some more? To me, you know, I point at one guy that I say, this guy needs to step forward. He needs to do more for you. It's Jermaine Harris. It, yeah. It's Jermaine Harris. He's a junior now. Um, and if you're a big man, uh, going 0 for 7 for the free throw line, it can't happen. It can't happen. He's, he has to make, even if he makes half or more than half of those, three or four of those free throws, Bill, you're talking about, what was it, 67-58, so do the quick math, and he makes four of those, talking about a five-point game, and, and that's, that completely changes some things. But plus, you know, you're, you're a big man. You, you're going to get fouled. You're going to go to the free throw line, especially if you're getting those kinds of minutes, so that's where you need to make some of your ground up. So, yeah, Jermaine is, is a guy that I look at, and I say, with the loss of Makai Mitchell, he's got to step forward. They need more out of him. Uh, and obviously late in that game, he sprained his left knee. He was helped to the locker room. And I'm glad to hear that it sounds like he's It you know, sounds okay. like it's not too serious. Right. Uh, we haven't spoken with David Cox. I assume we're going to hear from him before St. Bonaventure on the 30th, and, and he can give us an update at that point. Um, one solution for you or I could be going smaller. Uh, we saw the debut of Alan Bitran, the Towson transfer, made a couple three-pointers in that game, had eight points, was playing some crunch time minutes. Uh, down the stretch for you or I. Um, I. I think we sort of watched two different teams in this one. They couldn't have been sharper to start the game. Yeah. Seven for eight from the field. You're, you're carving Davidson open. You're getting to the rim. Uh, I think Fats Russell had four assists on their first seven field goals. He, he's causing all sorts of problems with dribble penetration. And then all of a sudden the curtain came down. Uh, and and Rody really struggled from the field when you consider that Malik Martin went six for nine. Mikel Mitchell went six for ten. Jermaine Harris went three for three. Outside of that, I think they were six for 33 from the field. Yeah. The seven other guys who played. Your bench, in terms of box plus minus, they were minus 57 in 74 minutes. Now, granted, they're out there with the starters. They're not just playing the five guys on the bench altogether. But you really didn't get much in terms of meaningful contributions for, from those guys uh, in terms of trying to turn the game and turn the momentum. Once Davidson sort of took control of this game midway through the second half, it was over. Yeah. You or I was not coming back. Offensively, they just could not find a way to get going. Uh, Davidson really hurt them through Carter Collins, left-handed senior guard. He had 22 points in this game. Um, Lee is lethal. Hunjung Lee is, lethal. is multifaceted, <laughs> I, I think is probably the, the best way to put it. Uh, made a dagger three-pointer down the end when, when you or I didn't rebound a miss free throw. Oh. Uh, and, and that was really the killer. He had 16 points. He was 6 for 10 from the field uh, in 27 minutes. It, it, it was just – it just wasn't a good 40 minutes from URI. It wasn't consistent. It was stagnant at times. Uh, you know, they're still trying to play 10 guys, even without Makai Mitchell. And, and so you don't necessarily find any sort of rhythm at any point. Uh, as you mentioned, Fats Russell is obviously playing through injury. This is not the guy who we saw at the start of last season who was playing like an All-American. Um, could be his ankle, could be his right heel, uh, could be a number of other things that, that he's trying to play through. Uh, you know he's not going to say no, but five points and two for 11 from the field is, is not him. Right. Um, and, and if this URI team was going to reach its maximum at any point this year, he needed to play like that sort of first-team all-conference player of the year candidate, and they don't necessarily have enough right now to compensate for nights where he struggles. Right. I, I agree. Um, and, 
you know, you have guys that can step forward as guards that can help you out. I, I mean, we, we've seen, you know, Ish Leggett, you know, show some signs of that. You know, that's why he was an A-10 Rookie of the Week already this year. Um, and, and so they're, they're going to need him, especially if you're, you know, you're without Makai Mitchell, you know, and if you're going to go a little bit smaller at times, then there's going to be more opportunity there for a guy like Leggett or a guy like Jeremy Shepard, who we've seen make big shots. You know, we look. I look back at the Seton Hall game, the Seton Hall win, and you know, he, you know, he's capable of, of you know, stepping forward and making shots when you need them. So, you know, hey, it was it was a tough outing, tough way to start on your home floor. You know, in a ten play, Davidson's a good team, um, but you know, take this time now. You sort of get a, a, a breath here, and you say, okay, let's rest up. Let's get some guys healthy. Let's look at, okay, what can we do better? What can we improve upon? And what can get us back on the right track? And, you know, that's what these layoffs can be can be helpful with. Yeah, Jeremy Shepard uh, was scoreless the other night. Yeah. No points. They need more. Three shots in 18 minutes. Uh, needs to be more of an influence on this team, no question about it. Yep. Um, URI has a, a bit of a homestand here to start A-10 play. They're supposed to play three in a row. Davidson was one of them. St. Bonaventure on the 30th, and then St. Joe's on the 3rd. Uh, the Hawks have played a brutal schedule to this point. They're winless, um, but they're playing teams like Tennessee and get uh, like yeah. you know just, just games that they're not going to win. Right. Um, you know, Auburn, Kansas, Drexel, which is a bad loss. Villanova, Tennessee, so far for St. Joe's. Wow. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about getting your teeth kicked in. <laughs> Put those four teams on your schedule and, and look out. Uh, I, I credit their ambition, um, you know, but my goodness, I mean, that's that's just murderous row yeah. coming out of the blocks. Uh, you know, for Rhodey, I, I look at St. Bonaventure and I think, okay, you've lost three straight A-10 home openers in a row. The last time you did that, you were, you were rebuilding. Um, you know, you were going from Jim Barron to Dan Hurley. Now, this program is, is light years away from what that one was. Absolutely. And home court games, they're different this year. They just are. Um, but you would think that URI, with some creature comforts in the Ryan Center, would need to win the next two against St. Bonaventure and St. Joe's because after that, you go to Richmond who is one of the preseason conference Tough. favorites. And then you go to VCU, who's played very well early in the season. Um, Perennial. Right now, sitting there at 6-2, and two, they have wins over Utah State and Memphis, um, who are two pretty good teams. So you're curious what's going to happen in that game. And obviously that's been a blood rivalry for the last three or four years. <laughs> um, you know, VCU is, is not a team that is a big fan of yours. Uh, you know, they figure to have some fans at the Siegel Center uh, and they are not exactly going to roll out the, the red carpet for your eye. Um, so I think that, you know, St. Bonaventure, I, I see even early, you know, even in game nine, I see that as a critical game for the Rams to turn this around. No, it's a great point. It's a great point, and you've you've got to find some. This is why the break is good. You know, you just, you, but you've got to come out firing um, because, as you mentioned, I mean, once you start getting into the Richmonds and the St. Louis and and teams like that on your schedule, you know, it's it's only going to get tougher. It's only going to get tougher in league play, and so it is an opportunity to get back on your home floor and say, okay. Let's let's right the ship. Let's get back on track. Let's find some things that can continue to work for us, uh, and and we'll go from there. So it's you're right, but they got to do it fast. We uh, we have some great news from the college basketball world uh, at large. It came in early Tuesday. Uh, Keontae Johnson, the Florida forward who collapsed. Uh, apparently due to, to some sort of unknown, undiagnosed issue that, that hasn't been released yet, 
he's going to be released from Florida Hospital on Tuesday. Um, you know, and for anyone who's watching that game against Florida State uh, two weekends ago, to see someone who's the SEC preseason player of the year, uh, a young athlete in the prime of his life or just entering the prime of his life, to see him collapse on the floor, um, motionless, not moving, uh, you know, being tended to by medical staff and, and training staff there. Uh, you know, for me, I, I know. Coity, us growing up in New England, I think Reggie Lewis. Reggie Lewis. Yep. Um, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to think Hank Gathers uh, for Loyola Marymount. Um, you know, that's where my mind flashes to just based on my experiences. Um, you know, and so when I see Keontae Johnson go down, I, I think, I immediately think the worst. I, I think, oh my goodness, I, I've seen this happen before. Um, so wonderful news that he is being released from Florida Hospital. We, we look forward to updates on his condition, um, you know, but that's certainly something that, that ripped through college basketball uh, over the last couple of weeks and, and something that a lot of people were watching. It's great news. It's great news that he's improving and he's, as you, as you mentioned, uh, you know, um, leaving the, the worst of things, hopefully, you know, cross our fingers. Um, but you're right. I mean, <laughs> it, Reggie Lewis was the first thing I think of. Um, I, <laughs> I even think of, <laughs> do you remember the, uh, who was it, the Wayans Brothers movie, Six Man? That's basically what they portray in that movie. You never seen that movie? Didn't see it. Yeah, it's, it's actually, no. it's funny. Uh, they, they're brothers that play for, you should check it out. It's an older one. It's like early 90s, but um, they're brothers that play for the University of Washington, for the Huskies, and that's basically what happens is he collapses on the court and he, he dies. And the whole storyline is that he comes back as a, as a you know as an angel or whatever as like a spiritual figure for the team and gets them all the way to the the national championship where ironically they play UMass in the national championship. Wow, that was early nineties. <laughs> Which I'm always like UMass. Holy cow! Well, that was pretty good. <laughs> those those were the days of of John Calipari and. Marcus Camby and Lou Rowe. Yeah, and, right, right, right. And Dana Dingle and yeah, but that's that's those are the things that I I think of, and so you just you, you know, when you first see it, you you uh, unfortunately think the worst, and and you know you've been there before, um, but I'm I'm glad that he's you know on the up and up, which is good. Yeah, really good thing. Um, you know, and and obviously elsewhere in college basketball, we we are happy that the games that are being played do continue. Uh, we wish that. You know, the folks who are on pause due to COVID, we hope that they all get back soon. Um, Cody, let's let's turn as we finish up here to Christmas. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's give out some gifts to our – actually, we, we can include Brown in this as well. Oh, to our, I like this. To our four programs uh, in the state, our four Division One men's programs in the state. Uh, if we could give the perfect gift to each one. I'll start off with Brown. Uh, the gift would be a smooth and full 2021-22 season. I agree. Uh, we wish that for the Bears. We wish they were playing now. Uh, we hope that they are as bullish about their prospects next year as they were coming into this year. Um, we hope that Jalen Ganey comes out and plays at an Ivy League Player of the Year level. Um, you know, that their guards somehow, despite not having played this season, Perry Cohen and, and Daniel Friday have grown up uh, and have gotten to the point where they can play for a league title contender. Um, we hope that Mike Martin is just back to doing what he's doing on a daily basis, which is coaching his kids hard, developing his players, uh, you know, working with two guys who we know well, and TJ Sorrentine and, and Anton Gray. 
Um, you know, so my first gift of the Christmas season, I would say, would be to Brown, and I would say I hope that we see them back on the floor at the Pizzatola Center next year. I just hope that they have the satisfaction of being able to go out there and play basketball next year. That's just that's what I hope for for them. Uh, I I personally have, have missed being at the Pizzatola Center this winter. Uh, it stinks because you knew the team that they were going to have, as we've talked about. And uh, you know, the other gift would be just giving Scott Cordishi something to do. Ah, uh, very good, very good. <laughs> I, I always enjoy when when you can take a swipe at your weekend co-host on our podcast. That that's good. Uh, you know, him feuding with Dondero isn't enough. Now you want him to feud with you. That's that's excellent. Oh, I love you, Scott. Uh, uh, no, it, really though. You know, when when it was announced that Brown wasn't going to play, Scott was one of the first people I thought of Me because too. he's been you know Scott and Russ Tyler, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know because. You're just in that routine for years and years and years of, you know, Friday night game, Saturday night game, midweek game against, you know, non-conference opponent, then Friday night game, Saturday night. It's just you sort of take away that way of life, that that rhythm, and you wonder what it's going to do to people. Yeah. Um, you know, Scott does a great job of his podcast, obviously. Where, where Which he, said, he just did one with Mike Martin talking yes. about the basketball program. If yes. he hadn't had a chance, it's it was very good. Um, you know, but that's that's a different side of things that we don't see. Uh, Coity, what would you give to Bryant? We'll, we'll go in alphabetical order here. Ooh, wow. This is tough, Bill. This is really tough. Uh, what would I give to Bryant? Um, boy, uh, thinking on the spot. I mean, they've they've had a lot of good fortune, I think, so far this season. They've played well. Um, you know, just just to be able to continue to to grow, I guess the the gift of growth, uh, <laughs> because I I think you've seen it here with the way that they finished things out and finished out games. So I think the the gift would be to continue to improve, uh, because if you can do that, then you know you you'll be able to to get to where you want to go. So maybe the gift would be, I hope that they can get to you know the top half of the NEC tournament. Being able to play a home game or two would be great for them, um, and to to have a shot at getting to the big dance. I mean, so the gift of growth I think would go a long way for them. No small gift in an NEC program because you you see. You know, in a one bid league, when you have a special group on a team and it comes together, it really is like lightning in a bottle, in a sense. And there's no guarantee when that next opportunity is going to come up. You really need to reach out and grab it while you have it. Um, you know, in that league, with the one time transfer coming in next year, people are going to try and poach your players. If you win too much, programs are going to try and poach your coach. Um, you know, and so a lot of times you only really get one or two chances at it. Um, you know, and it's a, it's it's sort of a, it's a little bit of a treadmill in that league. You've, you've got one team at the front, and then they sort of get bumped off, and then the next team comes up, and they sort of get bumped off, and you're going to have, uh, you know, sort of natural advantages for city schools like Fairleigh Dickinson, and you know some other teams in that league who, who are able to recruit major metropolitan areas Bryant isn't necessarily one of them um, you know and so you you look at where the Bulldogs are right now and the potential for them to get to a certain place and you just hope that they are able to take advantage of whatever opportunity is presented to them 
over the next three months. So right. I think that's. I think you are correct on okay. that. I think that's a good. That was on the spot. So a, yeah, <laughs> a good thing to wish for them. Uh, for Providence, I would wish them a second weekend in the NCAA tournament. Yes. Um, you know because I think the the discussion that's always going to follow Ed Cooley uh, until he actually does it is Providence has only won one NCAA game. Since 1997, I, I haven't heard that. Where did haven't you heard hear that, that before. No, I haven't heard that before. Oh no! Wow, I didn't even. Wow. No, no, it's it's a real thing, um, you know. And and so, you want the Friars to sort of break through that that glass ceiling that that's there, um, you know, that that's sort of dangling over them, the the carrot that's there of of trying to get deeper into the NCAA tournament. I, I think that you know, they've recruited better. They've won a conference championship, uh, conference tournament. They've made the NCAs and would have been six out of the last seven years. They they have been a serial qualifier for that tournament. The next step is to try and win a couple games mm-hmm. in March, and if you're able to do that, it brings you to the next level as a program. Um, you know, it changes how you recruit. It's going to change how you feel about yourselves. It's going to change your players' experiences. Um, you know, it's going to change how Ed Cooley is perceived. You know, not only by his own fan base but at large. Your recruits and, and high school coaches and whoever else, they like Ed now, and, and they should. He's very effective in, in that arena, recruiting and, and relationships. Especially this time of the year when he's drinking the eggnog, when really. He's, when he's Santa. <laughs> I, I won't even try the voice. The, the man has a set of pipes. He, he's, he's got a media career after his coaching yes, career he whenever he yes, wants he does. it. Um, you know, but I wish them a, a breakthrough, a proper breakthrough in the NCAA tournament where they could establish themselves as maybe you know, a perennial top three, top four program in the Big East, and, and one that's not necessarily surprised to be there, one that's predicted to be there, mm-hmm. right up there with Villanova and, and where I think UConn will be, um, you know, and potentially where, where Creighton has sat for a few years now. So I, I think that that would be a huge next step for them, and if, if I could give Providence one gift, I think that would be it. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with you. Um, and in terms, of, in terms of URI, in terms of a gift, um, I, I would probably say, Bill, good health for Fats Russell. Mm. Good health for Fats Russell. I hope that the holidays are good to him. I think if he heals up, I think it's going to get this team back on the right track. You get him back on the right track, I think it, it follows with other guys, and you know you, you put yourself back in the, in the conversation in the mix in the Atlantic 10 um, because he's – he is your guy. He is your guy going forward this year. Um, and once he's right, I, I think it's going to do a, a lot for you going forward. Yeah, I, I would have also uh, I would have dug into the Sally Brown bag, Charlie Brown's sister, and I would have said, how about 10s and 20s for you or I? <laughs> uh, because the sooner they get that practice facility done, That's started, nice too. done, uh, the sooner they get those guys off commercial flights and, and on to charters, uh, the sooner that they can progress in terms of recruiting, in terms of player retention, uh, in terms of legitimately challenging Dayton, VCU, St. Louis on an annual basis in the A-10. Um, so an, an infusion of cash in Kingston, lots of cash, uh, you know, eight figures of cash. Uh, would would be welcome. I don't know if I don't know if Santa is capable of all that, but well, especially yeah, he's dealing with a lot this year. But no, no, you're right. And we've seen the uh, we've seen the effects of what you know practice facility can do to a program. Um, and I, when when you and I are both covering both PC and URI, and we see the facility that 
you know the friars built on their campus um it's i mean it's state-of-the-art it is uh top-notch and you know it can help you as you said with recruiting with your current players with everything that you want to do going forward and i think uri has built a, a good and competitive program here you know for the last decade you know going back to dan hurley and now on with david cox where you know they deserve to have that sort of shot yes and so i i would agree with you as a as a uh, maybe it's one of those gifts where you wrap the small one and you put it on top of the big one. I just gave the small one in the little box. You you had the big box right there. And you just tie them together with a nice bow, and that would be a nice Christmas gift. Yeah, you I'm, I'm a sucker at Yankee swaps. I always go for the big box. It's <laughs> usually got like a $5 bill in it, and I'm, you know, I got played. Uh, it uh, happens. Well, sometimes there's a couple of scratch tickets in there, too, from, uh, you know, Auntie uh, Janet from, uh, you know, from Coventry or whatever. Uh, you know. it's, a, it's a good thing when they hit <laughs> good thing when they hit i i am not that lucky but um yeah. you know Cody, my gift for you would be to wish you and yours a, a merry christmas um continued good health to to all in the coit clan uh, especially your sister who is on the front lines fighting against covid um you know obviously to your parents and, and to your grandfather as well because it's you know it's it's interesting times for them um you know we can only hope that that next year uh when we are celebrating christmas in 2021 that we are in a far different place um you know but i wish continued good health to to you and uh you know to all the folks listening and to you my friend and to your family as well i i know i know that your family especially your mom has just been just dying to have the family together and and really wanting to have everybody you know during the holiday season yep. you know as as they typically are you know together and um so i i just hope that you guys can celebrate as as much as possible in the safest way as possible and you know, best wishes. I, I keep writing on my Christmas cards. You know, here's to good health and better times in 2021 uh, and things to look forward to, too. And I, I think with you know the vaccine being distributed around the country now and, and you know, frontline and healthcare workers starting to get that vaccine, uh, I think that's it's a real turning point for us. It's a real victory for science. And, yes. and hopefully it means uh, a better year for all of us uh, going forward. And 2020 certainly made us appreciate the things that we have. I'll say that. Certainly have. Well said. Uh, very, very tiny Tim of you. Uh, <laughs> I did play Bob Cratchit in uh, The Christmas Carol, seventh grade. I, I can believe it. Apollo House, PCIS. I was okay. I'm sure you were good. <laughs> I, I, I believe that you were. We see it on the air every night at, at ABC6. Um, Coity, again, thank you very much. Uh, to folks who are listening, thank you very much. Merry Christmas and, and continued good health to you and yours.